Hey guys, before today's episode of the podcast, I want you to text me 212-931-5731. If you don't, you're missing out. I'm putting all my eggs in the fucking text basket. 212-931-5731. This is the Gary V Audio Experience. Hey, what's up everybody? Welcome back to the Tactical Baby Gear Podcast. In this episode, we have with us the one and only Gary Vaynerchuk, Gary V. Um, Gary is a, I'll give you a quick story on Gary and then we'll get into it. He's uh, an immigrant, came here at three, four years old uh, with his family and uh, came up with nothing and uh, worked his way into his family liquor store business. Uh, eventually went on to leave that and start a company called Vayner Media, which is now Vayner X, which is a holding company with lots of other things going on. Uh, they do hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue with over a thousand employees roughly around the world. Uh, he's somebody that I admire to the top uh, as a purebred entrepreneur myself. Um, so we're excited to have Gary on, uh, but I w- he's on in this context with Tactical Baby Gear because he attributes so much of his success to parenting and the way he was parented. So that's what we want to hear more about. We want to try to bring some knowledge to all of you uh, new parents, uh, raising your kids and uh, some of the things that he's seen, which align with a lot of the way I was parented. So uh, there's a lot, there's an unbelievable amount of synergy. That's awesome. In that world. So we're excited to have you. So thank you. I appreciate that. And for everybody listening, knowing a lot of you don't know me, not only, you know, I think the focus group of one is extremely dangerous. I think the reason I've got more passion about sharing my thoughts, and by the way, one man's point of view, that, you know, like anybody else's, is not only do I think that I was quote unquote perfectly parented, which is a working title of a book I wanna write, but two, um, you know, I get fucking 5,000 DMs a month from parents and kids, and so the data now feels scaled to me, and there's a lot of thematics that are very tried and true, and I think we're also feeling the ramifications in the anxiousness and depression you know, people want to blame social media because they don't want to take accountability. I think the last 20 years of parenting uh, should really be debated. Right. And you talk about those thematics and like there's a billion different things that could be talked about. There's, But there's really those seven to ten core things that matter the most that are foundational pieces and the rest of our nuances along the way. Uh, and I know that uh, your mom was a huge part of that. So I want to kind of go back to the early Please. days. Uh early Gary and the way that your mom uh, parented you, because I know that you were a terrible student I in was. school, as I was, uh, and how she dealt with that, but then how she also supported your strengths and all that kind of stuff. Practical optimism with accountability is how I would, with a huge layer of love, is how I would document what my parents did and what my mom did, because my dad worked every hour, and it wasn't until I was 14 that I really kind of walked into his world uh, working at the liquor store. So, you know, my mom dealt with my bad report cards which started in fourth grade. Up until that point I was like an unstoppable student because it was just so basic at that point. Right. But by fourth grade where A, my mind started to wander in class which was the real vulnerability because if I listen, even to the report card that's, here it is, even if you look at the report card in high school which is atrocious, you'll notice that all the classes that are history are like B's and C's compared to my D's and F's because I was interested in history and so I listened and that was enough. I didn't do the homework so I got a zero. I But listen, I got B's on tests because I would listen enough whereas in science, you go into the periodic table. Forget about like it. Like I'm in complete 
baseball yeah. card or I was in Beckett or wine spectator mode always. It was either, you know, I was in class reading the, like I, I was a nice kid, but I was audacious. I would sit in the middle of a class during a, a curriculum and literally just go into my book bag, take out the Beckett baseball card guide and start memorizing it. And the teachers like put that away. And I was kind of like, no. <laughs> like what, what, and basically it wasn't like the bad kid. It was almost like the teacher, like there was almost this weird relationship between me and my high school teachers, which was, you think I'm gonna be a huge loser. I don't, I'm a nice boy. I don't cause ruckus. I'm not mean, I'm not disrespectful, because I would right. say no in the plea. By the way, I'm a tough guy when I do, inter- like when on stage, I didn't say no. I said, Mrs. Stats, please, like I got a big show this Friday, you know I'm gonna get an F anyway. Like, it, was, it was charming right, right, more right. than it was rude. Um, is that my where your mom, charisma my, came from though? I think I had it, and this is it manifesting, and my deep dislike of being disliked goes everywhere, so I couldn't have my teacher not like me. So I had to be charming to get away with what I wanted to do. Um, my mom punished me four times a year, uh, eight in high school. Came out, because fucking pro- so funny, progress reports fucked me up. I had, my whole, <laughs> I had my whole system down, and then in middle school, they're like, "And now we do progress reports." And I was like, no. "Wait a minute!" <laughs> and I'll never forget this term. It's a really interesting term. And when I tell you, every class besides gym and history said in danger of failing. All of them. So now I was getting punished eight times a year because progress reports were coming about right now. I, I even feel the anxiousness right now because it's <laughs> the first of week year. of October and still ingrained in me is like, oh, this is the shitty week. And I was also ridiculous. I was intercepting my progress reports and report cards, grabbing them out of the mail, going into my house and flushing them down the toilet. <laughs> like, like got to the point where I would get punished because my mom would kind of, like she would know what time of year it was, and and I would be on some, the mailman lost it. The school, <laughs> my favorite was junior year of high school, I proclaimed that they didn't do progress reports anymore. Like I was all over the place, but she held me accountable. She knew, because she knew, that I was gonna be just fine. Right, it's funny, my parents felt the same way about me, so they, it was the same thing. I was like a C and D student. Like I was good enough to get by. They made sure that I was paying attention to doing the right things. Um, and I was a, an extremely nice kid. Like I'm still a nice yeah. kid. I look big, bad, and tough with my tattoos, but yeah, yeah. I'm the nicest guy you're Your gonna meet, right? Your face looks super soft. <laughs> Your tats don't throw me off. You but, seem super nice. Right? But, uh, but they supported all my strengths. Anything that I ever went into, I was 110% into it. Was that from both it. of them? Yeah, oh yeah. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah, yeah, 110%. Were either one of them entrepreneurs? Uh, Yes and no. My family, my my mom, not so much. She she enjoyed what she did, and she worked for someone else, and yep. that was her thing. She, awesome. My dad was more of an entrepreneur, uh, but my mom's side of the family, my grandparents, both big time entrepreneurs, Understood. and that's where I get that DNA from. Yeah. Um. So, but but they just supported it. Like they're like, I listen, it. I know that you suck at science, but you're so hard into everything else you do that I have no doubt that you will succeed and that was in it. whatever it is. And and then my thing on top of all that was. My mom was watching me come home with two thousand dollars as a thirteen year old. It wasn't like I wasn't. You know, it wasn't hard for her to like. But what they did smartly was that at fourteen they were like, "Well, now you work because you're not going to some. You're not going to Harvard and becoming a lawyer. Now you have to work because you know a lot of kids are like Gary Vee. Should I drop out of college? And I'm like, if you're willing to eat shit and work your fucking face off for a decade, because the machine is not going to accept you. 
That's the big question. Gary V, should I drop out of college? Should I not go to college? Sure, if you're asking me and you're following my content and you think you're an entrepreneur or you're an enigma from the normalized education system and you don't need a diploma to do what you want to do in life, the answer is sure. If you equally realize that doesn't mean you fucking hang out at your buddy's apartment laying on the couch playing fucking Fortnite in perpetuity. <laughs> yes, if you're willing to eat fucking shit. I'm more excited for tech schools than anything else. Uh, I went to a tech school, right? Because I wanted to have, I, I came from building custom cars. So I went, you know, right out of high school into a tech school to get more knowledge about automotive industry. And then I went directly out of that into my own shop. Yeah, and I think I think we eliminated those tech vocational tech schools ecosystem. Like everybody, they had them back in the day in the fifties and forties and sixties. We were more practical. We let kids go to like auto body shop and like tech this and tech that and hairdressing, and it was practical. And then everybody had to go to college because it became a business, and that's fine. Um, so how how did she do it? Everything I did that was kind and showed my humanity, she gave me a trophy for through her words. That was very, you were, you're amazing to be so nice to that elderly lady. I love how you stick up for the kid that nobody talks to in school. She would make big to-dos. And then when I was still in school, she punished me for bad grades. Right. I don't know what to tell you. Right. When I went over four in a baseball game, it was my fault, not the coaches or the son in my eyes. <laughs> you know, like she didn't make excuses. Excuses are unacceptable in my parents' household. We just, and, and they had reasons to excuses. They lost parents when they were young kids. They lived in Soviet fucking piece of shit Russia. They fucking came to this country with nothing. They fucking took one, I took two, two family vacations in my entire childhood. You know, like we, like there was plenty to complain, like they never did anything. They fucking both worked like fucking horses. So they had plenty to complain about and not a peep, which created a system for me to be, it's just inconceivable for me to complain. Right. Get it. How did your dad's relationship change then when you were 14 you started like working? So like how did that dynamic switch well, for you? Well first it even the was the beginning standpoint? of one. Okay. I didn't even know him. Just, like you saw him around the house. Bro, and I didn't see him around the house. Bro. Really? I didn't see my dad. Let's give everyone context listening. Like My dad, we move here in fucking 78. My dad starts working a hundred different things, finally lands as a stock boy and then a manager and then a part owner of a liquor store through the 80s. And then until 1989 when I was 14, when I tell you that I have 11 memories of my dad until I'm 14, 11 core, like 11 memories, not like 11 highlights. I'm talking about actual, like, is my dad here? <laughs> 11. I saw him in the kitchen once. Like, I'm memory. being real serious yeah, with you. Yeah. Like, like I remember when I was like eight, we were gonna have Father Sunday. It was like this big thing, like when I was nine. And what happened was my, my dad was exhausted because he worked 100 hours a week and what he wanted to do was watch TV in his bedroom on some like Telly Sabalas detective shit with the and then he put the blinds over it was dark as fuck and within 19 minutes he's sleeping and I'm and in a very sweet way like I was you know cuddling next to him and then I like took his arm off cuz he fell asleep came downstairs and said to my mom can I go outside and play with Robbie cuz I don't want to watch Telly Sabalas with a snoring dad. <laughs> yeah. and, but what was crazy was, I also remember not being disappointed. I didn't, I, even at that age, from my own father, I don't have expectations. Even though there's a huge buildup for like a month of Father Sunday, and it was. You know, I say this story and I can see like, there's almost even a, 
undercurrent of sadness in the room. And I, I never, I don't feel that way. That's, that was my next question. I didn't know if there was any like resentment no. from that or, or any tension between your mom Not and your dad. Not only is there no resentment, I would argue there's appreciation. Well, it's very you... easy for people right now listening who were born into middle-class families that paid for their college, who are now accountants at JP Morgan, to judge my father. We came here with nothing. Like, do you understand what it feels like to live in a studio apartment with nine family members and not have a dollar to your name and not speak the fucking language? Life's about circumstances. My dad also had a traveling salesman dad in Russia who died when my dad was 15. Like, who who showed him how to be a father? So, so I don't think we have enough empathy for our parents. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and that's how I feel. How is that translated into how you raise your kids? Uh, I think in a lot of ways it leads to my strengths and my weaknesses. It probably leads to me being okay with traveling and missing a lot of stuff. It also makes me, with every moment I have, probably triple down more than the norm. But, you know, we're all byproducts of our parenting to our parenting style. We all lean in the same way. We all lean out the other way. <laughs> Excuse me, we find balances. <sighs> I think the biggest way it's affected me is not giving a fuck what anybody thinks about my parenting. That is probably the thing that I'm most proud of and wish for everybody who's listening. You're, you're, you're factoring in other people's judgment to the way that you're parenting your kid. Mm. We are parenting by societal political correctness, not by what we individually believe for our child. We're parenting by our own insecurities around our own friend network. That's why we're putting bumper stickers on our fucking cars. <laughs> like you want to show everybody your kid's good at soccer. For you. Right. For you. Right. So I don't like that. Yeah. And that's why I'm talking about things that aren't popular. Right. Uh, what were some of the things that your dad, once you had that relationship with your dad, you end up really getting your note, know your dad in a business environment, working at the He eliminates the, the bullshit out of my salesmanship. My dad's core, core, impact on my life is he turned my my bullshit into a gift of gab. I was so, I'm so good with words and energy and I've got all the skills. No different than LeBron and Beyonce and what they do to be able to be the best salesman in the world, which is what I think of myself sometimes, which is ironic because I don't sell because I build, because it evolved into like, oh right, I'm a marketer, right? Mm -hmm. But at the time it was very transactional. Um, I did better at lemonade stands and baseball card shows because I was a marketer. I didn't realize that. But I know I was also a killer in selling. Right. Right. Was I was better at getting you to the table yeah, and no. then I fucking closed. So, you know, so what is interesting about that is he didn't let me lie. And at that point, I was willing to lie to make the sale. And God, I'm so grateful for that. Because I think one of the things that's interesting about me is I understand that people are affected by how one says something over sometimes what they're saying. And I think there's a lot of people out there because I have a lot of notoriety at this point that have a very strong misconception of who I am because I have a lot of energy and bravado and alphaness in my delivery. So they can't even hear what I'm actually saying. They just put me in the bucket of They're bullshit. judging you. Yeah. yeah. And, and I respect that actually. I'm not crippled by that. That actually makes sense to me. You feel like you have to over-index in other ways. Like I, I feel the same way, right? I, I look, I look a certain way. Yeah. I get judged immediately. Yeah. I understand that, and I respect that. But that means I'm I over-index on being incredibly nice and polite to people. I over-index on the results. Right. I'm just not doing it for the fans. 
How do I do it? When I run, it, let's do the sports comp. Me, like, <laughs> do not look like a basketball player. Run, <laughs> run on the court right now. Everybody in Madison Square Garden, right over here. Like booze, laughs, whatever. Instead of what you're talking about, me over trying to explain to the audience, to the crowd before the game starts. Like, let me show you. You'll see. You'll be surprised. I say not a word. I go out and drop double nickels on the other team, and then I look at everybody's face and say, now what do you think? Right. That's how I handle my life. I understand the judgment. I understand it all. I then go and execute on the field, and then I ask you, what are we talking about now? Remember in 1997 when you said that the internet was stupid and I was gonna lose because you're gonna open up 11 liquor stores and I'm gonna have this computer? How do we feel about that today? What, remember when you left a comment on my Instagram back in 2017 that said, you know, fake? Well, now it's 2043 and I know you and I'm like, yo, how fake was I, dick? Results. Right. I'm not here to try to convince anyone. Uh, and you're in it for a long game too. Like, no, yeah, it's. <laughs> the end. Like, I'm also willing to micro lose. Losing, that's a big thing we need to talk about in a Please. minute, but losing is such an important part of kids childhood letting them learn to lose and how uh, that can motivate them and drive them and into place and trophies learning to lose and is, all these is things a, an important conversation i'm starting to interrupt you because i got pissed because i'm starting to realize people are not listening meaning yeah we're gonna let my kid learn to lose and so like oh johnny it's okay we lost four two like you know it was a good exp- no like fucking internalize that shit. Like you fucking lost. Mm-hmm. Like I cry. had this conversation with like my daughter cry. the other day. Like fucking cry. Uh huh. And I made her. I made her cry. Right. So we're doing bedtime routines, and it's always a challenge between my two daughters, who are five and eight, of who who do I start with first at bedtime routines. So they decide they're going to rock paper scissors. Well, the older one loses to the little one, and she's upset, and we need to do it again. I want to try again. All the stuff. I'm like, no, no, no. You lost. She gets to go first, etc. I said, and we are just coming off of. A gymnastics competition that she crushed it in and and I said I said well listen do you think that the kids that didn't practice as hard as you and didn't do as well as you in gymnastics should have won no you got the first place trophy because you put in the work and you practice and learn you have your the little sister's tactics of going slightly slower <laughs> to, figure out, to figure out that you were going with rock right. and she drew out the fucking but those paper. are the conversations that have to be had like no you don't get to try it again by you the way lost. should i share the truth which is i've been disguising the whole time that the reason i put up five is because it's my favorite number but what it actually represents is fucking paper <laughs> <laughs> but those are the it's things that like most so many parents would would be like all right well let's let's go again paper. okay fine best two out of three. Oh, da, da. You know, Caleb, that means cash in the hood. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> What's that other? Uh, secure the bag. Is that the most recent? That, like that's that's two and a half years ago. But good job. So, so <laughs> hilarious. So yeah. So but, listen. But uh, those adversities of of losing and the number and, one reason the parents that are listening now, a lot of dads, are not parenting their children the way they want to because a lot of dads, like myself. And by the way, a lot of moms too. Actually, real quick, on this show, I'm actually gonna drop it. Let me finish my first thought because I, I, yeah, it made yeah. me think of my, a thought that I wanna share badly. A lot of dads and a lot of moms are passive because they're trying to appease their partner in their parenting and they're parenting in a way that they actually don't believe in. Right? They're mm-hmm. looking for harmony on the parenting level, not instilling in their kids. I believe that there's a lot of people that are not treating winning and losing properly and I think it is the singular biggest vulnerability to raising a child. Self-esteem building is number one. 
I believe that everything is solved if you can build your child's self-esteem. The problem is everybody turned that into delusion. Self-esteem doesn't come in faking it. Self-esteem doesn't come in what happened to that actress who's in jail now who bought her daughter's way into USC because if you read the transcripts, and I saw the quote, and I do not know if it's true or not, but it's definitely what I thought, which is having a kid look you in the eye and say, you bought me in because you don't believe I could do it myself? Hey kid, that's what she's been doing the whole fucking time. Mm -hmm. You know, why, how, why do you think you were on the varsity lacrosse team? Mm -hmm. You know you fucking suck. <laughs> so by the way, this is why it's a two-person race. This can't just be on fucking parents. If you know that your mom is best friends with the fucking coach and that's why you're on the varsity lacrosse team, it's on you, 17-year-old Nancy, to bow the fuck out. We have to find that balance. Which gets me to my final point. I believe that the ratio of stay-at-home moms, stay-at-home dads in America and the world should be 50-50. And I believe it to be 95-5 right now. I believe that we have to change the conversation around success for men. Because we've, yeah. ex we've, we've done a nice job, long way to go, but we've done a nice job in the last 30 years to not having a cultural stigma around women in the workplace. They still have a stigma. I watch yeah. girl on girl crime where like they judge the mom for being a work, I hate yeah. it. Like stop judging. But we're much, much, much further along in the last 30 years of an incredible woman raising her hand and saying I'm capable to have a profession and I choose to balance, which is an incredible achievement, to balance my career and my motherhood. You know, look, a human coming out of you is still a different connection than the father. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 100%. You say it all the time. That's yep. just real, yep. it's not the same. And so, but we have not, in any shape or form, allowed the following. I am raising my hand, my name is Rick, I am a wildly nurturing guy, I am not, an alpha killer professionally, either in, in, in employee nor in, in uh, entrepreneurship. I believe in this relationship with Susan that I can nurture and destroy the raising of these three children 24 seven so that they go on to have incredible lives and things of that nature and that is fulfillment for me. When that dude raises his hand, every dude in here judges subconsciously or consciously saying you're not good enough. And that's fucked up and I am passionate in the same way that I find things that I latch onto that are not being talked about. I am passionate to try to start this conversation because I hear it nowhere of giving permission for every man out there who is desperately interested in being a stay-at-home dad because they believe that they can crush that incredible task. That is literally almost the exact mission statement of our company and why we have a diaper bag company geared towards dads to get them more involved because it's not just mom's job to be a parent. Most, that's such a big thing, right? When the whole reason the brain exists is because I was having another daughter that I knew I was like, crap, fuck. I gotta carry that purple bag again. And it takes a little bit of that enthusiasm down of, of doing some of those parenting things early. I'm talking about changing diapers and things like that, but that's not really parenting. That's that's taking care of no, the No, no, but you know what I appreciate, what and it, I apologize for it. Go ahead, finish your thought. But, but early on, like that starts a different mindset. Our product allows, gives dads especially, a different level of enthusiasm to be a parent than they would have otherwise. And what I love about you is what my last statement is the atomic bomb. And we are not going from where we are right now to this nirvana that I've just made up mm -hmm. tomorrow. Right. And what you're doing is actually Starting it correct, yep. one piece at a time. But this is the, it makes 100% intuitive 
one man's intuitive sense that the ratio of stay-at-home mom and stay-at-home dad should be 50-50. Mainly because I can think of 30 relationships I know right now where the people are reversed and the stay-at-home mom is the actual fucking alpha and financial strength of the relationship and the man is actually the nurturing Mm -hmm. human EQ strength and just social norms are making them both miserable. And I believe that women have done a much better job in progressing the case of being in, in the workplace, being the alpha, and that guys have done nothing fucking almost very little. They sit back and watch it happen and then judge it. No, no. They're sitting there knowing, right now somebody's listening to this podcast and he knows in his soul that he should be at home raising the kids because he would do it better and that his wife should be fucking working because she would do it better than him and he does not have the courage nor have we create, we have, listen, everything is predicated on stigma. Stigma is the fucking worst. Stigma is every, alcoholism, abuse, fucking everything, depression, all of it, mental health, all of it is stigma and we need to attack this one and start, like I'm doing this rant right now because I'm sure my team, I'm watching their body, they're gonna cut this up, <laughs> but for the listener of this, so, especially if you're listening to this based on what your business does, there's somebody who's on the five yard line and this little rant is literally gonna make him right now at 11, 13 in the, after, in the morning, get up out of his cubicle, get in his car, drive home, and have a real conversation with his wife, and they're both gonna be fucking pumped. But (laughs) this takes takes guys giving daps to guys when they make that move, not doing the jokes that we all as guys know we would make about our boy who had the courage to stand up and do this. We're gonna judge that you weren't good enough on the field. You weren't good enough on the combat field. You're not strong enough. You're not, it's fucking wrong. It's, the, it's being self-aware and trying to achieve happiness is the ultimate fucking male strength. I don't disagree and with And it that goes though. to raising your kids. Your kids pick up on that. I mean, if you want successful, happy, happy kids, then you gotta be happy. In the extreme version that I'm telling you, which is very binary, and obviously everybody's yeah. 60% of this, 40 <clears throat> but in that extreme version, the kids are gonna win more. Exactly. They're gonna have somebody who, like, do you know how, how much pain I see? How many DMs I get from stay-at-home moms who who are ups- or not happy because they want to go kill? And I'm like, I fucking get it, Susan. You know? Because <laughs> yeah, if I couldn't go kill, then I'd be sad. Mm-hmm. Fuck. So happiness, you talked about how what we're doing is building things piece by piece, and that's a lot of what I feel like you've been into recently, more more recently than not, with talking about parenting, getting into younger demographics uh, of of an audience for Gary V and preaching your uh, your foundational things, happiness, optimism, positivity, empathy. Uh, empathy, all these things, penetrating that to a younger audience earlier on with the cartoon, with TikTok, with you know all these that other. That's true. And you're you're getting into them. At Earlier. a younger yep. generation, sure to try to because I know that your one of your goals, like you have several different goals. One of them to be to, to buy the New York Jets, right? That's Correct. a game you're playing. Yes. That's a goal. That's fun for you. Yes. But as a legacy piece for your life, to be an impact on the world, to make the world a better, happier, kinder place. There have been multiple times that people have told me that they decided to not take their life because of my content. Now. I struggle believing that. I'm just being very human right now. When I see it, I'm, I, what, the way I react to that is I don't fully believe it. 
Um, maybe because it's too heavy for me to accept. Maybe because I think people throw around words sometimes a little loose. However, it, when I die and I walk up to heaven, I'm like, yo, what's good, God? <laughs> you <here>. know? <laughs> um, and she or he says to me, or it says to me, 39. 39 people on earth actually didn't. If that number was one, that means more to me than if I buy the New York Jets by a billion. The chase of the Jets is my passion. That's the game. That's the, I, I right. love this game. I, and by the way, the vanity, the the you know the 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 selfish part of me, I pull off that fairy tale. It's gonna be a fucking party. Like, like, <laughs> like, like, my I'm favorite not, line from you is yeah. how if you can't, how you're gonna crowdsource it. <laughs> <laughs> Just. Think about how early it is in my life, probably a good 20 minimum years away from actually even being in a position or the timing to be able to do it. Just genuinely think about me, where I am right now, at the scale that I'm at now, another 20 years of hardcore propaganda around this mission. Just imagine what happens when it happens. Like I think it is the singular news event for like 24 hours. That's going to be wild. It's it's there's going to be so much in the system at that point. Most likely, fifty to a hundred million Americans will know it to be true that there's this person by the name of Gary Vaynerchuk who wants to buy the Jets. And when that comes across, whatever the Twitter or the AP or the ESPN or the Newswire of the day is, people are going to be like, "Fuck!" Holy shit! And and for me. Yes, there's that whole I told you so, which I love. (laughs) Drop double nickels on the crowd. But I think it becomes a fucking fairy tale. I think it becomes something that everybody can latch onto and say if he was able to do that, my micro dream of owning a second home or starting this school. Because it's so big and it started so early. And you know, I've had enormous amounts of people come to me and saying that when they first heard it on my wine show in 2009, they laughed at me. They're like, "You're in a liquor store in a fucking dungeon. Where the fuck are you?" Like, mm-hmm. and and they come up to me now and like, "Hmm, I don't know. maybe, maybe you <laughs> well, will." And you've like, said you know, it before. Like, you've said it before, and this is a lot of what I preach in my personal content too. But if anybody that looked like you has ever made it, right? It gives a it's it's the same thing. And like, Jay-Z I'm, I'm at a should pers- inspire so many. Sarah Blakely, founder of Spanx, should inspire so many. Mm-hmm. And that's what I'm trying to do, you know, on my personal side is if inspire Oprah can people. Do it. I feel like I'm still in a relatable place in our business where we're not so big that people think there's no way I could ever do that. Do you find that trouble w- with yourself at the scale that you're at that people are like, I'll just never get there because it's so big now? But I feel like you know I'm what? in a place I'm, I'm where... I'm not crippled by that, I, mainly because I believe that to be true for 98% of people. I think that's the answer that 98% of people say. So I'm like, I actually default to thinking that's what everybody thinks. So I spend no time on that. It's back to my don't convince anybody. I'm like gonna just act. Just I'm just gonna act. And then it's gonna be a ripple effect. Do you know how many people have emailed me in the last, and when I say email, DM'd it, in the last 100 days that have said to me, I cannot believe how many followers I have on TikTok after seven years of going hard on YouTube and Instagram, within 31 days, I have a bigger audience, more impactful on my happiness or my business results on TikTok, thank you. <laughs> so I'm just gonna fucking put the blueprint out for free 
I'm putting out the whole fucking game, the map, the fucking key, the blueprint. What do you want to call it? The crystal ball? Call it whatever the fuck you want to call it. I'm putting it out for 0.00 cents, and then I'm going to let the cards play out. I can't worry about if I'm going to get you to get to do it. I'm just going to pressure you in perpetuity to put in your fucking face that it can be done. Here are the fucking maps. Here's the fucking blueprint. And I'm just going to wait for person on person on person every day. Can't believe I just went on Facebook Market yesterday. Just went on Facebook Marketplace, made 900 bucks. I can't believe it. But listen, Gary, say this for 18 months. I finally did it. Wow. TikTok, LinkedIn. Like, I'm going to put out free game for the rest of my fucking life. And when it's all over, a lot of fucking people are going to do something about it, which is why everyone's coming to my funeral. <laughs> and I'll be really, really mad if you don't come. Right? That's for all the like, for all the stay I'll be real mad at you, specifically. All right. <laughs> All right, I gotta get the fuck out of here. What you got? Um, go, let's go speed round as fuck. Two yeah, minutes. sure. Go. So, um, uh, do your parents <laughs> understand what you're trying to accomplish? Yes. Your, I'm sorry. Your kids understand what no. you're trying to accomplish? No clue. They're ten and seven. It's early. Too much. Too heady. Right. I, no, absolutely not. Their dad goes to work. Dad comes home. They're not. No, they, they know crazy shits going on. Fucking, we can't be in public without weird shit going on. Right. Uh, but they don't. You know. They don't not really. Well, really, really know. 99% of people don't know what the fuck I'm doing. Right. They think that I'm fucking money hungry to buy the Jets. Right. 99.999% of people don't know what the fuck I'm doing. Right. How the fuck are my kids going to know? Got it. Um, Quick little tidbit for a first-time parent. Advice. <sighs> Self-esteem will solve everything. Be careful of turning it into delusion. That's where accountability matters. Accountability, real quick, last one. Please. You, you've talked about how you, you were previously, and I know you're working on it, creating a lot of entitlement within your company and the organization. With, I, do I, you struggle with that at home with the kids? Of course. You do? I failed at that because I'm, I'm trying to, but what's awesome about me is I talk about it out loud. The thing I'm trying to make everybody at home not do with their kids, I did with VaynerMedia. That's what you do when you're kind and you love something. Yeah. The fuck do you think happens? You have to be careful. And I fucking then had to fire a bunch of people to, and that and everyone's like, what the fuck? <laughs> and by the way, right now, somebody listening has been spoiling their kids at, and they're 19 and 18 and they've spoiled them their whole life and they have to cut them off completely right now. And what do you think those kids are gonna do? They're gonna act like crackheads. You're taking them off the drug of money and entitlement. But if they don't do it, they're gonna be 31 and you're gonna be quietly slipping them money because you're gonna be subsidizing their life and it's just fucked up. Guys. If you're 30 years old and you take money from your parents, you fucking are losing. And I don't mean I'm judging you because you're not capable. You have a subconscious framework of thinking you can't. I'm not judging you because mama's paying for you and you're a loser. I'm judging you because I know what the action of taking money from your parents in your 30s means, which is you now believe you are not capable. And you need that money to impress people. You're trying to keep up with the Joneses in your neighborhood where you and your husband or you and your wife aren't making as much as everybody else, so you need some subsidization, which becomes credit card fucking debt, which becomes mommy and daddy if they're capable, because you need a Mercedes because everybody else has. Drive your fucking Honda, dick. You don't need to stay in the fucking Ritz-Carlton. The Holiday Inn is just fucking fine. Why? Because Susan's gonna make fun of you on the parenting board on Facebook? The fuck are we doing out here? High school ends at 18. People are taking it to their 81. The end. The end.